Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life, mixed with levity and joy. Heather, do you smell that? Smell what? It's Christmas coming! (laughs) It's almost here! I'm so excited. (laughs) It is. It's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. It's December the 20th. I said we are sitting in a closet full of shoes. Well, that's true. That is true. But it smells pretty good in here, actually, for a closet full of clothes and shoes. But, you know, it's Christmas time. We, we've heard all the Christmas songs. And we already know what songs I don't love at Christmas. <laughs> but what are some of your favorite Christmas songs? I really love... I'm an old lady. I really love the old, like, Christmas carols. Like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is my favorite. Uh-huh. I love Handel's Messiah. I could listen to that all year round. Yes. But the, there's some fun ones, too. The, the worst, not not Mariah Carey. But not all I want for Christmas. I do Christmas like some you. Frank Sinatra and some Bing Crosby and all that. So, I like Christmas. is mm-hmm. always a favorite. My dad used to sing Silver Bells all year long, actually. He would always be in the kitchen. He would sing City Sidewalks, Busy Sidewalks. But I do like most all Christmas music, so I love to listen to it this time of year. But you mentioned a song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mm-hmm. Did they really sing? That's a good question. It's a good question, which kind of segues to our topic today. We're going to talk about misconceptions of the Christmas story that we see in Scripture. So, Heather, why don't you tell us why we chose this topic? Well, we've heard the account of the first Christmas, and I like to say account because account means it actually, it's an account of a true story that really happened and not necessarily a story as a fairy tale. Right. We've heard that account so many times over the years that Christians have either knowingly or unknowingly embellished the story over time from the founding of the church till today. There's been changes made to that story in just the retelling of it, not in scripture, but with just the way the story is told to people. And so you might be familiar with the nativity scene. We see so many of them this time of year in stores and around town, outside of churches. You see nativity scenes. So you'll have a stable scene with figures. You'll have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in a manger. You'll have shepherds, three wise men, a bunch of animals, an angel, and probably a star overhead in a barn setting. And so that is a nativity scene, and it's meant to depict the first Christmas, the story of Jesus when he was born. I don't know really, I haven't researched in depth the origin of the nativity scene. I think it began um, in the Middle Ages, hmm. from what I read briefly. That's a long online, time. But it's been around forever, just the creating images of the biblical figures. So that's been around forever. And I don't know where the condensing of that came, where all those different people were put into one scene together. But it it does seem that the timeline of events, if you look at the story of Jesus' birth in the Bible, that it's been condensed down to one scene, and that's when you get a nativity scene. Maybe that's just to recount the events to others in an easy way, or maybe people have taken historical license to create a scene so people could visualize what happened. So we're talking about nativity sets. You have to remember that it's a creation by man to depict what happened in the Bible, but it's not necessarily biblically correct. 
And when we talk about this, we're not against nativity sets. You have them in your home, Rose. I'll, listen, my favorite nativity set I have is a little Fisher Price one that mm-hmm. I bought as an adult <laughs> that has it has some of the similar yeah. elements that you've talked about. But they're just really cute little mm-hmm. nativity characters. Yeah, and I have nativity scenes and my, my mom loves nativity mm-hmm. scenes. And so there's nothing in and of themselves wrong with that. If you remember, remember what the Bible really says, what really happened. Either way, if you don't know the Bible well, and a lot of people in our society and even in our church don't know the Bible very well, people are going to likely assume that the events surrounding Christ's birth happened in a certain way when they didn't happen that way at all. And so today we're going to be looking at a few commonly held perceptions of the Christmas story and point out that these perceptions are actually inaccurate. And to help us look at that, and so we can break it down a little bit, we're going to look at an an actual nativity set, which we don't have one in the room with us, in this closet with us, but we looked up online. I was looking for nativity scenes. I was Googling, and I found a few of them trying to help me visualize what we were going to talk about. Side note, I found one that was pretty hilarious. And Rose, you can link it. I will link it in the show notes. It has the wise men (laughs) on the roof of the barn or major scene. It looks like the three stooges. Yeah, they're lurking over. Yes. Lurking over the manger (laughs) scene is pretty funny. So there's a bunch of nativity scenes out there. I found a good housekeeping website. They had 44 of the best nativity sets you can buy, which there's some pretty nice ones out there. All different styles. So, But the one I found, I was trying to find one that depicted all the different elements of the typical Christmas story as told in our culture. And so I found one on Pottery Barn, and it's the Pottery Barn Kids nativity set and you can link this in there so people can (laughs) i'll link it in in the show notes so you can take a look at it what we're looking at and and the only reason i picked this one is because it had all the different elements of nativity scene that we typically understand to be a nativity scene so we're going to take apart this nativity set in a figurative sense and talk about each element and whether it's really true is this really what happens in the biblical narrative of jesus birth so our one single thought for today is Deconstructing your nativity set. Deconstructing your nativity set. All right. So let's start. Let's give us some biblical framework here. Let's start by reading the Christmas story as it is told in Luke. So we're going to be reading the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20. And we'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible version, the CSB, if you want to follow along. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. And Heather will read 13 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. To be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. 
Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. All right, so now that we've read passage mm-hmm. let's start with the setting so let's look at this pull we're gonna pull up our pottery barn pottery nativity, barn sets. nativity sets <laughs> and i am looking at a barn and there is mary and joseph and a little baby in what looks like half a cradle but i think that's a manger <laughs> <laughs> so rose was jesus born in a stable I think there's been a lot of discussion on whether it was a stable, it was a barn, was it a cave? But the Bible doesn't mention any of these three places in connection with Christ's birth. It just mentions a manger, which is an eating trough for animals. Mm -hmm. Scripture really just says that they laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for him in a guest room or in the inn. The Greek word that is used in scripture is kataluma, and that actually translates to mean either a guest chamber, a lodging place, Mm -hmm. or an inn. Well, according to Associates for Biblical Research, they surmise that Jesus was probably born in the house of relatives. So we know Joseph had to come to Bethlehem because Mm -hmm. that was his birthplace, and so it's likely that they might have been staying with relatives but that he was outside or maybe even under the normal living and guest quarters. So Mm -hmm. we don't know that for sure, Yeah. but that's a a probability based on the the living Mm -hmm. arrangements in those days. Yeah. And I've, I've heard, and I'm, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I've heard to build off that the family was down underneath where the animals were kept. And sometimes in those houses, they would have been kept down in a lower level, Mm -hmm. not necessarily in a, in a stable um, but that was still part of the house, but the animals were down there, and that's where they were kept. And so Mary and Joseph had to go down into this other level where there was room because there were so many people upstairs, I guess, is right. one interpretation of that. Which would make sense mm-hmm. because there would have the mangers there to feed the animals. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm visualizing a walkout basement of a trial level, but it's all covered with animals. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that makes sense. That could that could be it, but in any case, if there was a trough there, mm-hmm. obviously it stands to reason that there was an animal 
either there could have been animals nearby or there were animals around at one point, but it was an area used for feeding animals. And right. so that's where he was put. So if we look back at our Pottery Barn nativity set, <laughs> we see there's a star that's nicely placed right above baby Jesus on, on the barn. But I think they probably were hoping to interpret that to be above Jesus. So Heather, was, was there really a star the night Jesus was born? Well, the problem is that there's no indication that the star hovered over the manger. So that's that's the question, is did the star hover over the barn, did it hover over the manger? We know that when the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night, so that's Luke 2, 8, 8 through 11, they weren't told to look for a star. They were told to look for something else, which was you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes or tightly wound in cloth and lying in a manger. So they were supposed to look for a baby lying in a feeding trough. That was mm-hmm. going to be their sign. There's no mention there that there was going to be a star. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't, but you would think that that would have been mentioned if it was supposed to, if that was going to be a sign for them to look for. We know from the story of when the, the wise men come on the scene, which we'll get to in a second, mm-hmm. the star comes into play there. And so... We can surmise that the star above the nativity set that we see so often and then in movies and how it's depicted in modern imagery may not be accurate. So I get this visual, Heather, of now that I'm thinking through what is what did the nativity really look like? So I'm getting a visual of this open area underneath a home, kind of down below the living quarters. Where there could be maybe animals, probably definitely hay, whatever animals would eat. Mm -hmm. And there's a baby laying in the manger. So I would think when the angels told the shepherds, this will be your sign. I mean, they could begin to go through Bethlehem and pretty much zero in on a home that had a baby Mm -hmm. in where the animals typically would be. Yeah. So I think that would, we think about there's your sign. You think, well, that doesn't seem like it would be a really obvious sign, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they heard the baby crying mm-hmm. and cooing and probably a lot of commotion with the with what was going on there. So that's kind of my visual. But I think when I when I, when I've always read the Christmas story, I think sometimes we confuse the sign with the star. Yeah, because of the wise men, which we'll get to later. Okay, so looking back at this nativity set, Rose. Yes. I see a very cute set of characters here. And I see Mary and Joseph. And Mary has a donkey standing next to her. So this is insinuating that Mary rode this donkey to Bethlehem. Do you think that Mary rode a donkey? Well, eight-year-old Rose thought she did. (laughs) I loved the little Rankin-Bass christmas special called nestor the long-eared donkey Uh who took mary to bethlehem and nobody wanted to use him because he had long ears and he (laughs) tripped over his ears but his ears kept mary covered as they traveled and so my (laughs) eight-year-old self would say of course she did but she might have but there's a whole lot of other possibilities of how she might have gotten there the bible really doesn't say how she got to bethlehem it only says that she came with joseph 
We do know that they came from Nazareth, and from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it was about 90 miles if you went by foot. And if you walked eight hours a day, mm-hmm. that it would take you a week to get there. And chances are they probably did not travel in Mary's condition a full eight hours. We don't know mm-hmm. that. So I think that it's possible that some animal could be used, but... The one time that we do see in scripture someone riding a donkey is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But typically donkeys were used as more like pack animals for cargo and Mm -hmm. those sort of things. I don't think they were normally used to transport people for Mm -hmm. real long distances. So we really don't know. I think we probably... A lot of people use that because they could only assume that with her condition that Surely she must have ridden on an animal, but we don't know for sure if she did or if that animal was a donkey. I mean, it's very possible she rode a horse to Bethlehem. We don't, we don't know. So we don't know how she got to Bethlehem with Joseph. We just know they went together. I think in our heart of hearts, we would like to hope that a pregnant lady would not have had to walk all that distance, but Mm -hmm. scripture doesn't really tell us, so we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. So if we go back to our nativity set, when I look at it, I see that there is this cute angel that's sitting above all the action there on one of the doors to the barn. So we often, Heather, see an angel above the manger in a nativity scene. In fact, a lot of times we put an angel on top of our tree. And this one has a magic wand. Did you see that? No. She does? She's holding a magic wand. You know, angels don't have magic wands, people. Well, this one does. That's really heretical. <laughs> there is no magic wand in the hand of and an she's angel. Blonde. I guess it's a her. It's a blonde, it's a blonde. angel yes. with a wand. Oh, anyway. That's very disturbing. So, sometimes we see angels above the manger. Sometimes we see them with an, a wand in their hand. <laughs> uh, in certain nativity sets... So, Heather, was was there an angel at Jesus' birth? Well, it seems logical to assume that there were angels there. I'm sure they probably were there, if not viewable. If they were, they might have been invisible, but they surely were there in, in the presence of the Son of God coming to earth. But scripture doesn't say that. And there's no evidence to prove that angels were visible to Mary and Joseph at that time. So we know that they did come to see the shepherds. We know that they were there. They appeared to the shepherds. And so we definitely know that angels had a role in a, in a part in the birth narrative, but we don't know for sure that they were visibly present at the manger. And speaking of shepherds, I'm looking here, going back to the nativity scene, I see two shepherds here with a little sheep. We know that shepherds did come to see Jesus at that time. We, like, as I just said, we had the angels appeared to, to the shepherds. And so it's most likely accurate here. We've got this nativity set and we've got two shepherds here. We don't know how many there were, but we do know that shepherds were present. But Rose, did the angels sing to the shepherds? Well, possibly. The Bible doesn't really specifically say that the angels sang, but it does say that First, an angel appeared and spoke, and then appeared a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So that is in Luke 2, verse 13. So clearly they were praising God, which they could have done that in a multitude of ways, singing included. We think the angels sang because of the Christmas carol we talked about earlier, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So we kind of Mm -hmm. assume they must have sung. But 
this, the Bible really doesn't say specifically they did, although I like to think that they did because when they were praising God, that says a multitude of the heavenly hosts are praising God. I can't even imagine what a multitude of angels praising God would even sound like yeah. or look like. I mean, we think about the way we worship God and we worship him through many ways, through our praising him by by our prayer to him, praising him in music and song. But I think as an earthly human sinful being, praising God looks much different than an angelic being that has come to announce Jesus's birth. So I think that possibly they were singing, but that they probably were doing, they were worshiping and praising God in a way that we may not even understand until we get to heaven and witness that ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. So, looking here at the nativity scene again, a little nativity set, uh, we see cute little kings, three kings there. They all have gifts in their hands and looks like a miniature little camel next to them. So, a lot Did of they, times... You go, think that all, they, they all rode that one camel? They probably all rode that one camel to... Could we not, Pottery Barn, afford two more camels? <laughs> I mean, come on. This set's $59. Throw in a couple camels. So we see these three kings. We see a camel, obviously indicating the way they got there. So, Heather, were there three kings at the manger on camels? So I'm going to actually read the account of the wise men so we can have a biblical perspective in while we're looking at this little uh-huh. nativity set here. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So I wanted to read that because I wanted to give us a biblical picture of who they actually were. So the Bible doesn't say that any kings or camels visited the infant Jesus. It does say that wise men in Matthew 2 or magi came from the east. It doesn't say how many. So none of the church fathers suggested that magi were kings. They were known as sorcerers. Magi used in the Bible is also plural. So there were at least two or maybe more people. The Bible also mentions three specific gifts that were very costly. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it doesn't say that correlates to one person. So each gift was given by one person. So there could have been more. There could have been two we don't know, but that's those are the three gifts. And so we know that 
a plural number of people came and brought gifts to Jesus. So there's also no proof of where these men came from, what country. So we know they probably came from Persia. That's where a lot of people, a lot of scholars think that they originated from, but we don't know specifically. Um, they clearly did not visit Jesus when he was still lying in the manger because of what Matthew 2 tells us here. So contrary to what we see on this nativity set and in greeting cards and all of that, um, the wise men coming over the roof of the stable. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how they came on the scene. They did not arrive until some time after Jesus was presented in the temple in Jerusalem, which is in Luke 2, 22 through 39. So at that time, Jesus is called a child and not a baby. So it's possible that by the time the wise men came that Jesus was a toddler walking and talking. But based on the calculations of King Herod and the Magi, which is in verse 16, which I didn't read, but Herod gives commands for the babies, all the, the boys under two years old to be murdered. So we know that Jesus had to have been under two years old. And so Herod was making a calculation based on the time that the Magi had seen star and making a calculation of how old Jesus probably was. So Jesus could be anywhere According to Herod, he could have been a baby or he could have been two years old. So stands to reason that Jesus was not still in the manger when the wise men came. By that time, they were living in a house. You know, Heather, when you're talking about the wise men coming from the east, and we don't know, I mean, they could have come on camels, but it's funny because when I was a child, I think until I really understood the whole story, I based a lot of it on my nativity set, which had yeah. the wise men. And I just assumed they were there. But I mean, when you think about it logically, you know, I can't imagine that they would have arrived from coming from the far east mm -hmm. and ended up in this little stable. It's Christmas magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a little, it's, it's almost hard. It's really hard to, you know, hard to really understand that that logistically would have worked. But I think it's really good because of the way the story unfolds and how King Herod wanted to kill all the boys born under or age two and under and how the wise men, you know, went a different way and did not mm -hmm. go back and report to King Herod. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty vital part of the story if we keep it in context of when the wise men really came. Well, we've wrapped up our segment on deconstructing your nativity set. And I hope that when you set out your Christmas decorations, if you have not yet, that you think about it and enjoy your nativity scenes and how beautiful they are. But remember what really happened according to scripture and go, go read it and remind yourself and look at your nativity set and just think, oh, everything is condensed down into one little scene here just for me so I don't have to go and two years from now I'll go try to find the wise men and set them out because Jesus was born um, before they came. So, Well, I think it'd be a great way to, and we'll link the scriptures that we've read in the show mm -hmm. notes. It would be a great thing to do on Christmas Eve to sit down with your family and especially if you have young children or young people and just go through each of the pieces of the nativity set and sort of put, put them in their proper place mm -hmm. and explaining, you know, the, the overall Christmas story, because I think that will give a lot more context to even your nativity set, your nativity scene. I heard of somebody, and I don't remember who it was, but they put, when they set up the nativity scene, they put the wise men way on the other side of the room because <laughs> they hadn't come yet. <laughs> 
There's actually a, a friend of mine who every year they would wrap up each piece of the nativity scene Mm-hmm. And then they would pass it out and everybody would unwrap it and they would have to tell what they thought the perspective of hmm. the Christmas story was to that that part of the nativity scene. So whether that be a baby Jesus in the manger, whether that be a sheep, a shepherd, whatever. Yeah. So that way every year everybody got something different. Hmm. Okay, Rose, what's our one random thought today? So my one random thought today is it's finger licking Christmas. <laughs> so it's a tradition in Japan to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken for Christmas. That's so, so weird. I know. Like here in the states, I would say ham is typically or turkey is kind of your Christmas entree, but in Japan, it's it's KFC. Why? You know. <laughs> so here's here's where it came from. The backstory. First of all, it's so popular, you have to place your order two months in advance to ensure you get your chicken on Christmas. Oh. So in, in Japan, Christmas was, and it still is, a very secular holiday. So less than 1% of the population identifies as Christian. So back in the 1970s, a lot of people didn't have any established family Christmas traditions, and that's where KFC came in. And the company launched this marketing promotion called Kentucky for Christmas in 1974 and they made their first christmas party buckets and that's how it got Hmm. started and so ever since then that has been a tradition in japan that you eat kfc for christmas that's so weird yeah i I know i keep saying that but it really is (laughs) it's weird it's a random why japan and why kentucky fried chicken yeah i don't Hmm. i guess because you know kfc is pretty prevalent in the asian community like i know that China has a lot of KFCs. If they have nothing else, they have KFCs. They're pretty prolific in mm-hmm. Asian countries. So maybe that's why. And maybe KFC just saw a, a way to get a, a pretty high revenue stream. Hmm. And I don't know that having ham or turkey or whatever people have here for Christmas dinner is really indicative of a Christian yeah. nation. Because just because they are only 1% Christian in Japan, I think it was, they just didn't have Christmas traditions. So I think a lot of our Christmas traditions here are based in the story of Jesus, the true meaning of Christmas. So they didn't have that. So now KFC is their Christmas. Nothing says Jesus like KFC. (laughs) Nothing says Jesus is, well, you know, welcome Jesus like KFC. They had, they even dressed up the Colonel Kentucky, you know, the the Kentucky Fried Chicken Colonel. Colonel Sanders was dressed up like Santa Claus in their marketing campaign. So, yeah. Wow. So, if you want KFC for Christmas, don't go to Japan because you'll, you'll have to... You'll have to wait. You'll have to wait. They say the lines put, just come out of the stores on Christmas. They're lined wow. up, up and down the street. So, Heather, what's our Ricky thought for today? Meowy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Meowy Christmas. Meowy Christmas. I saw a pillow with that... Uh, not too long ago. Really? Store, and I did not buy it because mm. I don't decorate my house with cat things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no one is buying me the cat lady box. That's right. We're not, no cat lady <laughs> decorations it. for Christmas. <laughs> well, I was going to wait until after the fact to use this one Ricky thought. Is that because I'm afraid it was going to bomb? And yeah. so I don't know what's going to happen, but it's I, out there now. it just, it just fits this Christmas theme that we're doing i am taking ricky with me to visit my family for christmas they live about 14 hours away in florida so 
<laughs> there are a lot of re- logistical reasons why I decided to take my cat with me on this trip, which I won't get into, but it's going to be a big trip. I've been planning for a while for this, researching how to take your cat. I know people think I'm nuts because they're like, either they're <laughs> thinking, how in the world, why in the world are you taking your cat with you on a trip? Or just put your cat in a carrier and be done, give him Benadryl and be done. But I... <laughs> I really want to do what's right for my cat, but then, like, not be personally stressed out the entire time that I have my cat with me. We know me Ricky's a bougie cat, so Ricky's we get a it. little bougie. That's right. But I've been planning, and that's the reason why, one reason why I've been training him at cat school, because I wanted him to be able to be corralled a little bit and to learn some things, learn how to stay. Well, she's learning how to sit and stay, so believe it or not, it's working. You can train your cat. I've been doing carrier training. I've been doing car training to get him prepared for this. I even took a first aid class. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so crazy. I took a first aid class uh, for pets so you can be certified in pet first aid. So if anything crazy happened on this trip with my cat, I'm ready. Heather's got it covered. I've got it covered. I know how to do the Heimlich on a cat. If your cat's (laughs) choking, just give me a call. I'll come right over but anyway, so I took him to the vet to get him checked out a couple of weeks ago, and she prescribed gabapentin, which is used for, is it nerve pain in humans? Yeah, so I take you gabapentin. It, right? Yeah, I take gabapentin three times a day. It's for the phantom pain I have in my right leg. It, it helps yeah. not to have that phantom nerve mm-hmm. pain. And it's a controlled substance here in Kentucky, <laughs> just so y'all know. Yeah, so, well, you can give it to cats. They prescribe it to cats for anti-anxiety and they actually say if they a low dose can have um, a calming effect on cats and so people even give their cats gabapentin before going to the vet just to get them to calm down a little bit or if they're going on car trips so the vet prescribed that she gave me five doses so there's four legs of my trip one for each leg of the trip and then I have an extra one. So the other day I did a trial run of gabapentin on Ricky and it was pretty funny because that cat was so out of it (laughs) and he's okay. I mean, he was perfectly fine. It was, it was a mild effect on him. He was just really sleepy. He was was real chill and real sleepy. He went in the kitchen and so I was in the other room and I didn't hear anything for a long time. And I went in and he was sitting on top of the microwave staring at the wall. (laughs) (laughs) He was high. He was was pretty high. And then he, so then I came and sat down in the living room and he came in and jumped on my lap. And then he just fell over in my lap and laid in the same position for like half an hour. I took a picture and sent it to Rose. Yeah, he was pretty out of it. But you know, now gabapentin, it can make you really sleepy. I haven't, fortunately, I have not had that effect. But people who do take it have told me that it affects them pretty severely. So. He was pretty sleepy, but then by four o'clock in the afternoon, he was perfectly fine. So good to know. No adverse effects on him. I know how he's going to react to it. So he'll be nice and chill for the trip, I hope. Yes. So I'm hoping in a coming episode, we're going to, I'll give you a teaser for an upcoming episode. We're going to have road trip hacks, not just traveling with your cat or your pets, but as a single person. Yeah, just road trip tips. Yeah. Road trip tips. And so I will add in what I've learned from this trip because I'm sure it's either going to be great and everything's going to go great or it's going to be a disaster and the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. 
<laughs> but no matter what, she's going to have a meowy Christmas. I'm going to have a meowy Christmas. My family's Rick, ready to you. meet him. And so I'm taking my cat with me to Florida. <laughs> and uh, grandma wants to meet the grandma cat. Grandma wants to meet the cat. So here we go. <laughs> So, more to come on that. Have yourself a <laughs> meowy little Christmas. <laughs> okay, Rose, what's our one single question today? So, our one single question today is, what is a favorite childhood Christmas memory? I have a lot of favorite Christmas childhood memories. I don't think I could pick one. But I will, since we're talking about the nativity, I will just bring in one of my favorite Christmas decorations. And that was... A little drummer boy oh. music box that I've had probably since I was five years old. And I didn't even get to this in our discussion here in the nativity. <laughs> the little drummer boy, we that's an elephant in the room. I mean, come on. <laughs> there was no little there drummer boy. There was no boy. little drummer boy at the nativity in the Bible. There's no little drummer boy there playing his drums for Jesus. And the little baby Jesus did not smile at a drummer boy to our knowledge. There is no record of that. <laughs> But my favorite Christmas, childhood Christmas decoration is the ceramic drummer boy music box that I, and I don't remember who gave it to me, if it was a grandparent or someone in our church growing up, but someone gave me the ceramic music box and it plays a little drummer boy and it's very precious and I love it. I still have it. <laughs> it's very biblically inaccurate. <laughs> I actually don't like that song very much, but I love that music box and I've always had it and special to me. Parumpa pum pum. Parumpa pum pum. <laughs> Rose, what about you? Well, unfortunately, mine is is not Related to the Christmas story, but what I loved at Christmas was, my childhood memory, is watching the old Christmas movie, Holiday Inn. Now, most of you all say, Holiday Inn? Well, isn't that a hotel chain? <laughs> no, it is a hotel chain, but there was a movie made back in the 40s called Holiday Inn. It was black and white, and it was made before White Christmas. Mm -hmm. Many people argue that it's the same movie. It is not, but it is the movie that included the song white christmas for the first time and it was filmed in the same house yes the white christmas the same lodge the same lodge mm -hmm. that's correct so holiday inn if you haven't seen it i believe you can stream it on amazon prime possibly mm -hmm. i'll put a link uh, in show notes if there's a way where you can stream it but there are some portions of it that are politically incorrect because it was made in the 1940s. But I, what I loved about watching it with my mom is that she would explain everything to me. Mm. So I would understand what was going on. One of the things that she had to explain to me, they, they use like a little cartoon calendar because they go through all the holidays in a year. Easter and all these have, or all of Irving Berlin's songs, mm. you know, Easter Parade, White Christmas. And so apparently back in the 40s, the president changed what day we celebrated Thanksgiving. And apparently mm -hmm. it went back and forth. And so there's a scene in the movie where the turkey runs from one Thursday to the next. <laughs> and I always had to ask my mom what that meant. So I just loved it because it was way, way before my time. And mom would explain things to me that I didn't understand. But it's a really, really good movie. And the, what I love about it is it's got Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby. I mean, you can't yeah. really go wrong with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. This is our last episode of 2022. Yeah. Can you believe it? 
crazy. We're getting ready to celebrate 2023. And we will be back with you on January 3rd. And again, we are in the Christmas mood like before. We gave you a, a little teaser of upcoming episodes. So we're going to do that again. So next episode, we will be talking about movies you missed and so we're starting a series occasional series but yes. not every other week but we will have periodically periodic review of a movie that you may have heard of or may not have heard of think of it like backlisted movies yeah, yeah. just movies that were really great that you may not have seen and i love old movies rose loves older movies all kinds of movies yeah. and so we just want to bring some joy to you for the new year of just if you have some time over the holidays, if you get a break to watch some movies, we're going to be reviewing You Can't Take It With You, which was made in 1938. It's a Frank Capra movie. It was a Best Picture Oscar winner in 1938. And so if you want to watch it before we talk about that movie, you can get it on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if it's available anywhere else to stream. I think it's available on YouTube TV and okay. other other platforms as well. If you Google it, you'll see the other options. But even if you don't watch it before our episode, I think you'll we'll summarize it, and I think you'll enjoy the episode as we talk through the movie. And it's it's a great movie. It's just one of those that just makes you feel good after you watch it. We don't need to watch depressing movies. No, we don't. No. Not right now. No, it's Mm-mm. Christmas. It's Christmas, and the world's crazy enough. We need we need to watch <laughs> uplifting movies. All right. So, until next time, don't follow your heart, follow God. We hope you've enjoyed One Single Thought. Our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook, and we're so happy you joined us. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners. 